Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, good morning, Crossview family. Welcome to the last Sunday of our One Another series. Over the past five weeks, we've looked at just a few of the one another statements of the Bible. We've been asking, what does it look like for us to relate in a way that represents Jesus the best? Well, as we move into our final week in this series, I felt the need to go a different way than originally planned and talk about a very important aspect of the person of Jesus. This is something that we need in these days, and it's something that Jesus provides in a really significant way. And the question is, can we see it? So this morning, we're going to talk about being connected with one another, but we're going to look at it through the lens of friendship. Because being connected with one another, especially in faith, is more than simply being an acquaintance with lots of different people. Now, that happens, but Jesus models for us something very different. The type of relationship with others that Jesus models can change our lives and other lives as well. And these are types of relationships that we should pursue with the people around us. God made us for fellowship and connection, for union of heart and friendship with other people. So we're going to start today by trying to understand the depth of friendship that we have with Jesus, because being connected with each other starts by being connected with Jesus and understanding what we have in and through him. Everybody gets lonely from time to time. Yes, even introverts. But Christ's heart for us means that he will be our never failing friend. Now this is good news for us today and something that I hope you can experience on a very deep level. You know, one of the most gripping references to Christ's friendship comes just before the well-known passage in Matthew chapter 11, where Christ invites all who are weary and heavily burdened to come to him and he will provide rest and a yoke that is easy. Well, just before that, in verse 19, Jesus quotes his accusers. They're seemingly compiling a list of things that Jesus has done wrong. And one of those is that they call him a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He says this in Matthew eleven nineteen, The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. It should not be lost on us that tax collectors in this day were, not, were seen as Jewish traitors. They were despicable outcasts. They were the objects of hate and disdain. They were seen as the worst kind of sinners. And yet Jesus, it says, was their friend. Now this is profound. Though the crowds call him the friend of sinners as an indictment, the label is one of unspeakable comfort for those who know themselves to be sinners. And that's you and me. Being connected to Jesus means recognizing that Jesus is a friend to sinners. Now, what does that mean? At the, at the very least, we see in scripture, it means that he enjoys spending time with sinners. It also means that they feel welcome and comfortable to be around Jesus. Look at what it says about how these disgraced and hated people felt around Jesus in Luke 15, starting in verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now that's an amazing statement. It goes on, this made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So the very two groups of people whom Jesus is accused of befriending in Matthew 11 are those who can't stay away from him in Luke 15. 
In fact, the word translated friend here has this connotation of love in its meaning. In other words, it's possible that not only did the tax collectors and the other notorious sinners feel comfortable around Jesus, it's possible that they felt some affection for him because of how he treated them. It's incredible. They are at ease around him. They sense something different about him. Others hold them at arm's length, but Jesus offers fresh hope. What he's really doing and what we need to see because he does it for us too, is he's pulling them into his heart, into friendship. Author Dane Ortland writes this, Here is the promise of the gospel and the message of the whole Bible. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. This is a friend whose embrace of us does not strengthen or weaken depending on how clean or unclean, how attractive or revolting, how faithful or fickle we presently are. Beautiful. Now we know that this type of relationship with Jesus changes us, transforms us. As we come to know Jesus more and more, we realize that through faith in Jesus, we're given the opportunity to receive forgiveness for our sin and to be made new, alive with Jesus. But the amazing thing is that Jesus models that we we don't have to come perfect to him to have this kind of relationship that we're talking about. Now, please hear this clearly. You are so loved by Jesus that his heart longs to be in relationship with you. No matter where you find yourself on the journey of faith or in life circumstances, Jesus is a companion whose embrace of us does not strengthen or weaken depending on how clean or unclean, how attractive or revolting, how faithful or fickle we presently are as we just read. One of my favorite authors, Brendan Manning, writes this. Do you believe that God, knowing your whole life story, loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond faithfulness and unfaithfulness, that he loves you without caution or regret, boundary limit or breaking point? No matter what's gone down, he can't stop loving you. What an incredible friend we have in Jesus. Now this is where this connection begins, in friendship with Jesus. The type of friendship that Jesus offers us is transformative. He's offering us the type of relationship that's difficult for us to find, even with our best friends here and now. The truth is that even with our closest friends, most of us don't feel fully comfortable divulging everything about our lives. We like our friends, maybe we love them, we'll go on vacations with them, we'll sing their praises to others, but sometimes we don't really, at the deepest heart level, entrust ourselves completely to others. But what if you had a friend at the center of your life whom you knew would never raise his eyebrows at what you share with him? Even the worst parts of you, All our human friendships have some limit to what they can withstand, but what if there was a friend with no limit, no ceiling on what he could withstand and still want to be with you? That's what we find in Jesus. In the book of Revelation in chapter three, we find another famous passage that puts Christ's loving heart on display. We find this in Revelation three, verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. What a beautiful invitation. But look at who the invitation is offered to. We find the description just a few verses earlier in verse 13 and it says this, you say I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. 
Jesus wants to be friends even with people who are wretched and pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. What good news! Are you lonely today? Is your burden heavy? Do you feel as though it's time to make a change in your life? Do you need to be reminded of the depth of connection with Jesus? Well, hear this. Jesus is already standing at the door of your heart, knocking and wanting to be let in. And what's our job? To accept the friendship of Christ and open the door. Christ's heart for us means that he will be our never failing friend. He offers us friendship that, go, that gets underneath the pain of our loneliness. While that pain might not totally go away, its sting is made bearable by the far deeper friendship of Jesus. He walks with us through every moment. He knows the pain of being betrayed by a friend, but he'll still never betray us. He will not even so much as coolly welcome us. That is not who he is. That, that, that is not his heart. His friendship is sweet and constant in all conditions. If other friends fail, Jesus' friendship will never fail us. Jesus' friendship is fruitful and transformative and eternal. So the first part of being connected with one another is to deeply understand the friendship that we have in Jesus. So the second part is that we understand that as we experience this life-changing friendship, this connection with Jesus, that we are then called to help connect the world with that same type of relationship. Look at what it says in Romans 12 in verse 5. In the same way, even though we are many individuals, Christ makes us one body and individuals who are connected to each other. God wants you and I to understand the significance of connecting with others. So he gives us four metaphors in scripture that help us understand what it looks like. He says it's like being a brick in God's temple. It's like being a body part in a body. It's like being a branch connected to a vine. And it's like being a member of a family. Now, each of these four metaphors has profound impact in our understanding of what it means to be connected to each other and to the world around us. And we've looked at a few of these in the past few weeks, but to end our time today, I want to take a quick look at just one of these concepts. I want to look briefly at what it means that we are a temple of God. And I'll just say, I know that we've looked at this briefly a few weeks ago, but I'd like to highlight just another important aspect of this idea as we end our time together and this series. In 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, it says this, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people. He was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that spirit of God lives in you? Together, we have an identity which we didn't have before as individuals. Christ is our friend. And as we put our faith in Jesus, we're becoming part of his dwelling place on earth. For the original readers of this passage, the language of the temple would have been immediately brought to mind and in some pretty incredible ways. First and foremost, the temple represented the mighty presence of God in the midst of his people. So the idea of actually becoming an actual temple meant that people were invited into this very close and purpose-filled, identity-forming friendship and relationship with the presence of God. The next image that would have come to their mind 
uh, is the actual building itself. The temple was a massive structure in the middle of the city on the highest hill. And it, it was made of thousands and thousands of individual stones. Many stones making up one strong, steady, and central structure. The members of faith, as members of faith, we are joined together, all parts connected to support and hold each other up. When we come to Jesus, we get to be shaped into living stones, ourselves, part of the spiritual house. Christ is the builder here, and he builds individual Christians into a spiritual building, a community. It's, a, it's spiritual because it houses the Holy Spirit, God's presence. Here's an amazing Old Testament connection that we should understand about the dwelling place of God, that it was never supposed to be a permanent building. We find this in 2 Samuel chapter 7. In this chapter, King David is feeling bad that he lives in this nice palace and that God's palace is a tent called the tabernacle. In 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 6, it says this, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. And then he goes on, and this is the best part. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? You see, God, it seems, was fine living in a tent for a while. He seemed to prefer it. Besides, he wasn't home most of the time. But there was something else in play here. Unlike David's fine house of stone, everything about the tabernacle was tempor temporary. And don't miss this. It was always supposed to be temporary. The portable and temporary nature of the tabernacle underscored the point of the tabernacle, that God's desire was one day to see his people connected in deep relationship and friendship with him, and then together become the dwelling place of his spirit. And just so I'm being clear, that's you and me through faith in Jesus. Scripture seems to suggest that God's intention for his dwelling place was always to be what it is now. You and me built together, connected to be his temple. All of th this works to the end that Christ might gather a people who would themselves be alive through him and would make a temple, a church, an eternal dwelling place for the spirit of God that would go wherever we are. In other words, we are not merely a passive building where God dwells. We are also active participants in God's plan for the world, in worship, connected together in purpose and action, his deep-spirited friends representing him in our time and place. Isn't that exciting? The answer is yes. We understand that we are part of something larger than ourselves, and it requires that we understand Jesus' heart for us, that he is our never-failing friend, and that we also share that heart with the world around us. So as we come to a close on this message and this series, to answer the question, what does it look like to relate to one another in a way that represents Jesus the best? Well, the answer in part is that we love one another. We live in, har in harmony and unity with one another. We encourage one another. We humbly serve one another in love. And we connect with one another through friendship and love of Jesus. In each of these ways, we put Jesus on display in all that we do. Friends, we are connected through the power of Jesus. We are empowered to be his representatives on this earth. 
And I, my prayer for us in these next days and months as we look forward is we know that uh, church looks different now. And as we slowly return, we understand that we are connected through the power of the friendship we have with Jesus through the power of his spirit. And that builds us up together as we continue to be God's presence, God's living temple in the world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you be with us in these next days and months as we just continue to uh, do our best to represent you, your heart, this deep-spirited friendship that we have with you and with others uh, in our world. We recognize, even though we can't gather together in our building right now, uh, but that we are still the living embodiment of the Spirit of God your, for, you, for your way, your will on this earth. Help us do that. Help us recognize deeply the type of relationship that we are invited to with you, that you want to be, you offer us a friendship that surpasses anything that we can find on this earth. May we find peace and comfort in the realization of that, and may it encourage us and inspire us to share that love with the world around us. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Let's move into a time of more worship and communion together.